Welcome back to the Mentor Training Change Podcast. This is episode seven. Mm-hmm. And this episode is actually going to be really fun because today I get to interview Chris. Hello. So, as with all all guests on our podcast, I'm not sure if a co-host can be a guest, but fuck it, we're, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, we're going to do it. Um, so, my guest today is Chris Yang. Yes. Chris Yang is an educator who is currently in his 13th year as a student affairs professional. His area of passion, his areas of passion are social justice and representation, as well as a focus on masculinities, having presented on multiple faculty, multiple campuses, and multiple conferences, and guests facilitated several classes. Chris has a particular has a particular interest in incorporating pop culture into social justice issues. His belief in the power of representation and the need for critical discussion on pop culture messaging is what drives his work forward. Chris also has a master's degree in literature, and he is the current director of the Mosaic Cross Cultural Center, in which this podcast is often recorded in, and. Chris is like one of the, the biggest advocates of people doing what they like to do and mm-hmm. doing it successfully as you you like ever meet. Like Chris oh, is Chris is down for the cause. Thank you, Aaron. That's very kind. I, I do want to just one correction. I have a master's degree in education. But my bachelor's was in literature. They might be the same thing. <coughs> you, you were either you you're at the academy now, you know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's fucking literature. A lot of it a lot of it is very inter- interchangeable. Um but yes, thank you very much, Aaron. I mean, I, I definitely do believe very strongly in doing what you're passionate, like, are passionate about. Um, definitely, uh, there's so much in the world that needs changing that there's no wrong way to start. Right. So whatever it is that you're passionate about, start with that. Right. And you may think that you're the only one in the world that cares about this one thing. I guarantee you, you are not. I guarantee you there is some subculture somewhere of some group of folks who care about the exact same thing you care about in a way that you care about it. You are absolutely right. Sometimes you just got to get started to find them. Yes. But the passion question is yes. come at a later point in this podcast. So we're going to jump into current events like we normally do. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to dive into today's topic, which is toxic masculinities and comic books. Yes. So, uh, current events, mm-hmm. um, next semester, there will be a bunch of, uh, different events put on by the Department of African American Studies in, co- in combination with, uh, multiple sources on campus to showcase its interdisciplinary relationships, its commitment to ethnic studies, and its overall community focus is, um, if you remember from... Um, I think I believe she said the last episode, but Dr. Barry said that African American studies is a grassroots discipline. Mm-hmm. So it starts with the people in the community, and the people in the community create the discipline. Mm-hmm. So you can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. But I want to know how somebody in the highest position in the land is hell bent on saying things are going his way, even as we get closer to what is the end of a very interesting era in America. But for me, my current 
my current decade, actually, I'm 25 now. Mm-hmm. This has been... It's been an experience. It's that's, been a while. It's been a ride, that's for sure. Yeah. Like, I... Yeah. I mean, I definitely think... First of all, I don't know if I agree with you that's the end, because I, I have no idea where the end's going to be. This this feel it feels like we're it feels like it's just beginning in some ways. We're in December twenty nineteen. Yeah. It's the end I'm, of a decade. It's the end of a decade numerically, but it feels like we're. It doesn't feel like twenty twenty is going to be any better than twenty nineteen. <laughs> optimism, you gotta be optimistic. Right, right. I'll be. I'll be a little bit optimistic. Um, and I agree with you. I mean, like, there's definitely. I I don't know how. How there's somebody who, I mean. This president is is like a parody of a of a president. Like it's like a, it's like a joke, right? Like, like I remember being a little kid, like little little kid, and learning things like civics and like the Constitution and the makeup of the government and like United States history and the Revolutionary War and the Continental Congress, all these things, right? Right. And I remember as a kid being told. Well, we have these three branches of government. They work as checks and balances. The reason they do that is so that nobody gets to become a dictator or a tyrannical leader of any sort. That we have checks and balances to prevent that. And in my head, I always thought of this like kind of cartoonish, um, like, like cartoon supervillain with like a twirly mustache, <laughs> like who's like. You know, rubbing his hands together in the background, going like, "I'm a Caesar's power," you know, <laughs> and then like, you know, it's it's almost absurd, right? Because you think you think about like when you're a kid, you, you think about these weird things like that, and like now as an adult, I'm watching this happen in front of my eyes, and thinking that's the cartoon, that's the that's the villain, that's the mustache twirling, hand rubbing, maniacally laughing cartoon that's trying to seize the power like that's who it is like we we got there like i don't know what happened like i don't know i uh on my way walking over here um this story popped up on my iphone where it was like the supreme court is uh currently um halting all executions and the first thing that came to mind was Holy shit, somebody realized the system is broken <laughs> and now they're trying to restore balance. It's like, all right. Somebody was like, pause everything. We, 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 we let the joke go on too long. Let's go ahead and reel it back in, folks. Pause pause it. Let's get back on track. Somebody, somebody wrote a, uh, read a copy of the Crow. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, I never realized. We gotta stop, y'all. And now they're like, well, you know, we have all these death row inmates currently appealing, you know, their sentences and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's funny how long this has actually been going on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny how, you know, the White House is now denying impeachment probes. Mm-hmm. It's funny how just at the institutional level, we want to claim... Which we were talking about earlier. I was talking about with my staff earlier. It was brought up. What does it even mean that the White House is denying the impeachment proceedings? Like... That's not how that works. Like, you can't get stopped by a police officer and say to yourself or say to them, I'm denying your ability to stop. Right? Like, that's not how that works. 
excuse me, Mr. Officer, you can't pull me over right. because my car is denying your right to stop me. Right. So and I'm going to keep going. I'm Have a nice day. Have I'm a nice day. Ahead. I'm going to go ahead and keep going. Okay. I'll see you on Twitter. Oh, my God. I just... If you've ever taken, like, a, a, a government class or politics mm-hmm. or history mm-hmm. even, mm-hmm. You, you realize that a lot of these things... Are, are circular, they're patterns. Mm-hmm. And the one thing therapists have always emphasized is when you notice a pattern, you try to break <coughs> the cycle. Mm-hmm. And yes, I am saying America needs therapy. Mm-hmm. The, the, entire, the entire country needs to be put on a therapist's couch <coughs> and let the therapist hear out all of his dirty secrets. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, here is how you begin to heal. Mm-hmm. That's a conversation for a different day, though. Mm-hmm. Where I'm going with this is because reality is starting to mirror so closely to something like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Are we actually going to get to a point where people are just kind of like, well... What does it all matter? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if the uh, the audience is familiar with Deadpool, but Deadpool is one of the few superheroes who breaks the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Like, he actively interacts with the audience mm-hmm. and everyone else, mm-hmm. and that that is the comic panel. I feel like we're we're literally living in every day. I feel like he just like pops out and it's like, right, this should not be happening right now. Well, but it is. Like any good science fiction. Comic books have done the speculation before. If you go back to right around 2000, 99, 2000, uh, there was a really big event that happened in, in Action Comic. Uh, I could be wrong about the year. It's either 2000 or 2004. I'm trying to pull this out of my brain. I don't have notes in front of me. I apologize. But there's a really big hap- event that happened in Action Comics, and that was Lex Luthor won the presidency. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was from the perspective of 2016 when the United States presidential election happened. That was 16 years prior. Comic book writers were saying, whoa, wouldn't it be wild if Lex Luthor won the U.S. presidency? And he did. And he was president in the comic books for years. And Superman just had to deal with that shit. And it was like... Like... They, I mean, they saw it coming, right? They saw it coming. <laughs> and they were like, wouldn't it be wild? What would that even look like? They did it. And and now we're living it. Look, we keep talking about how The Simpsons is predicting everything. I need the writers of The Simpsons to, to let me know how this all like ends so I can prepare mm-hmm. preemptively. Because I don't even know if the articles are real or not. But apparently China made a... a a um, model sun and like a model moon and somebody like they're gonna make a new earth and just go there watch and i'm just like that does not sound terrible right that does not sound impossible honestly like i don't want to leave but I, i i will say though speaking as somebody who's ethnically chinese I don't know if I would trust China with that kind of <laughs> These are the people, this is the government who's afraid to let their citizens have access to Google. So, having them design a new world, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would put the trust there. Well, we could go on about this yeah. for days, but I think this is that 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 point there is actually a nice segue into our topic for yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that is usually prevalent heavily in comic books, in some way, shape, or form, is power. Mm-hmm. Both. In the villain's hands and the hero's hands. Yes. And so for this conversation, um, I was wondering, are we going to stick to just Marvel, mm-hmm. DC, or are we just going to pull examples from both and, just, mm-hmm. and go from there? I think we talk about examples from both Marvel and DC. Um, I did want to try to stick to superheroes a little bit just because when we talk about um, mainstream popular culture, we're talking about superheroes, right? There have been some really great, in the history of comic books as well as in the present day, they're great independent comics. They've done incredible work. Um, when we talk about like comics in which you can have creators that um, you know promote social justice, creators that are looking for more opportunities, creators that have a better representation of the diverse populations that read comics, creating art that represents the diverse population that reads comics. Independent comics is where it's at, right? So, um, and we, as the general public, don't normally have access to independent comic books. Right. Right. Um, We, by and large, are socialized on superheroes, right, when we talk about comic books. So, I do kind of want to stick to superheroes as much as possible, but I do think that there's stuff to mine in both DC and Marvel, which, you know, the big two. All right. So, let's start with, because uh, the Patriot um, for last weekend... Um, they were talking about uh, how billionaires and philanthropists aren't going to, you know, fix the problems mm-hmm. that they caused by throwing money at them. Mm-hmm. And so one of the uh, billionaires' biggest critics was saying that um, Batman mm-hmm. is one of the best examples of this. You know, Wayne Enterprises... Of a billionaire trying to fix problems. Mm-hmm, Wayne mm-hmm. Enterprises caused all the problems. Mm-hmm. You know, their, his, his, his business model takes jobs away from the local economy. Mm-hmm. It, it makes so that, um, like, in the Joker movie, how people were, paying, were becoming hired thugs mm-hmm. to try to provide for their families. Mm-hmm. But then, in the middle of the night, Bruce Wayne puts on this costume with mm-hmm. a bunch of tech. Mm-hmm. And he goes out and tries to, you know, fix crime. Mm-hmm. And he's always asking Alfred, Alfred, you ever think, you know, that we'll see a day at Gotham? We'll meet the Batman. Batman. Yeah. And it's like, well, Bruce, if you start to, you know, critically assess... What <laughs> Could be it tomorrow, is, actually, Bruce. Could be tomorrow. Yeah, you start to critically assess what it is that you're doing, maybe there will be. But I think this is a, a an opportune or a, a, a great model mm-hmm. of how male privilege mm-hmm. actually works. Yes. And how... The creators mm-hmm. didn't even weren't critical what they were creating. Mm-hmm. Like, well, okay. So, as far as creators being critical of what they're creating, let us remember that Batman was constructed in the nineteen forties, right? So, the first Batman comic, right, Detective Comics, uh, number twenty-seven, um, was in nineteen forty-one, something like that, right? So. We're talking about creators from the 40s, right? Who grew up on media from what would be probably the 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
they, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but a creator in the 1940s, right, who grew up on media from the 1920s, pro- probably not as deep in the gender deconstructive conversation as we are in 2019, right? right. I think that's fair to say. Um, so what does Batman mean in a world in the 2019 context? Obviously, Bob Kane and, and Bill Finger weren't going to be able to address that in the 1940s, right? Um, so very, very much like how people treat religious texts sometimes. Like there's a subsect of, of religious scholars who, who really try to say that like the Bible, for example, should not be taken literally, right? Because it was written thousands of years ago, right? And that uh, the authors of the Bible uh, could not have possibly known what the world in 2019 looks like, right? Right. So to read it literally is is a fallacy, right? Right. Very similarly, to treat Batman as an uncritical text and to treat Batman as some sort of paragon of heroism is a fallacy, right? Because the world is different in 2019 than it was in 1941, right? Right. Um, I think Batman's a really good example to start talking about why it's important to be critical. Right. Batman, for for a lot of folks, um, Batman is uh, an ingrained part of their understanding of pop culture. Right. Even if you've never read a Batman comic before in your entire life, there's a pretty good chance you know who Batman is. Right. Um, And on top of that, if you're socialized in the United States, there's probably a pretty good chance you've seen a Batman movie sometime in your life. You've watched a Batman cartoon show sometime in your life. You've, you know, probably read a Batman comic sometime in your life. You probably owned a Batman lunchbox at some time in your life, right? Something like that. Um, and and that's really, like, particularly in 2019. Because, you know, when Tim Burton's Batman in 1988 hit, uh, it exploded in media, right? Um, and then prior to that, when Adam West's Batman in the 1960s hit, it also exploded media, right? So, like, from then to now we have had this huge influx of Batman media, right? You really can't escape it, right? Um, And as a result, we have a lot of people who have exemplified what Batman means, right? right? And even in a joking manner, which is fine, you know? Like, we're not not trying to say that... I'm not... At least I'm not trying to say that that people, by and large, confuse Batman for, like, a real person or anything. Um... Unfortunately, there are people out there who actually do confuse. Right, right. Making the caveat, making the caveat. But you know, we still we do we do sometimes talk about like our heroes, even fictional heroes, as like, oh, that's a great place to like talk about your morals and like your ethics and talk about like what's important in life and that kind of stuff. Explore those themes, right? So, you know, we will still see um, people who 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 treat Batman as some sort of, you know example of how they want to live their life right right um but like you were saying if we're critical about the messages of what batman is and again not saying i'm not a fan of batman i'm a fan of batman i think um it's really difficult to be a fan of superhero comics and not be a fan of batman um batman as far as it's written has some of the deepest most interesting stories in its history people have gone you know six ways to sunday with batman and like Similar to how, you know, in in the theater world, they say that every actor has a version of Hamlet that they, you know, everyone, everyone has their own Hamlet. I think everybody has their own Batman, right? Like, right. 
everybody can think of a Batman story or can make up a Batman story that makes sense to them. Um, so in some ways, Batman is almost like the everyday person's superhero, right? Um, so again, trying to make, you know, make it very clear that I am a fan of Batman. And at the same time, I think it's also okay to be critical of the messages of Batman, right? And like you were saying, one of the big things about Batman is that, um, uh, Bruce Wayne as a character is in many ways the uh epitome of capitalism right um and that he first of all is born into his wealth right right did not make a single penny himself right born into his wealth um and uh there are a lot of stories as well that talk about Bruce Wayne being the the son of a 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 whatever that founded Gotham City, you know, tracing, you know, his lineage all the way back to the Mayflower, all this stuff. So very much like this, like, example of, like, white colonial America, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then coming from extreme wealth and then having this wealth um, be enacted in a very specific way, right? right? Um, I think... Um, one of the messages that we get from Batman and superhero comics in general too, is that there's this idea of good and evil in the world, right? right? And Batman is good and Joker's evil, or Batman is good and you know villains are evil, right? Um, and that he puts on his cape and cowl, he goes out into the dark of the night, and then he punches evil people in the face, right? Um, and you feel justified reading that because evil people deserve to be punched in the face, right? The problem is that. Um, well, one of the problems is that um, that's not really how morals work in the real world. There are very, outside of a few exceptions, there aren't really evil people in the world. Um, crime doesn't happen because people are evil. Crime happens because people lack resources and are presented opportunities. By and large, people who commit crimes are not evil. They're people who lack resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we contextualize it that way, what we're saying is that Batman is punching people in the face, but they're not evil. They're actually just people who lack resources. And Batman is, comes from the overabundance of resources, right? Like Batman has so much money that he can afford to, you know, make bat shaped objects, right? Like just own things to be bat shaped, right? Like he owns bat shark repellent and shit like that. Um, shark yeah. Um, so like when we think about like, is Batman a hero and is he somebody who we should exemplify? Um, there's all this structural inequity that comes with the, the, the structure of Batman. Right. You know, and, and part of that is masculinity, you know, um, Batman operates outside of the law, right? Which is not saying that the law is something that should be adhere to as as a dictate but more that he operates as an independent agent so he he has he has no accountability with anybody in the world at all at all um which we've seen time and time again because batman of all the heroes in the dc universe batman is the most likely to go rogue mm-hmm. right um he's turned on his fellow heroes many a time um always for the greater good right but um so, so Batman, Batman has no, no agency whatsoever, right? Like, nobody holds Batman accountable. Um, not agency, I'm sorry, accountability. Uh, Batman has no accountability whatsoever, right? Right. Um, 
which means that he for himself is the sole arbiter of what is good and evil. Right. So he will approach a situation and say to himself, based off of my observation and my knowledge, I believe this person is good, this person's evil. I'm punching this person in the face. Right. Um, which is contrary to how our laws work. Right. Right. We have an entire justice system, broken as it is, we have an entire justice system that's set up specifically so an individual cannot just walk into a situation and say, I determined this person to be good, this person to be evil, I'm punching him in the face. Right? Um, that's the entire purpose of our justice system. And oh. Batman goes against that. Right? Right. I want to I wanna go back to this. Uh, Batman is a representation of an abundance, abundance of resources. Yes. And the villains are a representation of a lack of resources. Yes. Because when we put it in a different context, it's, it's basically saying that um, Batman is that force that comes for people who cannot find a way to do for themselves. Yes. Um, like when you, when you study environmental science or like urban planning and things like that, you realize that, you know, the scarcity of resources actually creates higher crime rates and... Um, you start to see that there are, are homeless populations that they begin to cluster in near places like a liquor store or a 7-Eleven and things like that. 7-Elevens and liquor stores function as a place for resources. Mm-hmm. So Access to groceries, access to food. Yeah. So if we, if we examine this <clears throat> in, in, a, in the real world context, then you will, you will believe that Batman would actually spend most of his time, you know, Preventing some of the minor crimes that occur in front of a liquor store mm-hmm. or a Seven Eleven, mm-hmm. but then we have to realize, then we have to think about who are in these communities too. Mm-hmm. So then, if Batman is a representation of, of an abundance of resources, and we were able to actually have a conversation with him about what he represents mm-hmm. to people who come from a similar background. Mm-hmm. What what how we have this conversation first off mm-hmm. because it's hard to get people with resources to understand that you know having access to resources is a privilege mm-hmm. like that that is that is it. it's like when they try to get the uh, the senators to live off of two thousand dollars a month or something like yeah. that and they give them food stamps and everything and some of them are like how do I well, I don't know what to do with this how do I do this with, yeah. with, with yeah. like how do we how do we have this conversation without one putting an emphasis and a spotlight on those who don't have resources and, their, and are at their lowest point. Right. But also humanize these people so that the people who have an abundance of resources and are a little bit better off say, oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm actually causing what's pushing right. them further down. Right. And let's, let's I, I think we can go a step further with that too. Batman is very much a manifestation of how we distribute resources in our community. Right. right? We, as as people, have a bunch of different options that have been set up throughout the history of the, of the country of how we can distribute resources. We've had examples from the government. We've had examples from community organizers. We've had examples from, you know, elderly students, everyone. We've had all these different examples of how we can distribute resources. You can do food programs. You can do... Um, you know, universal basic income, you can do healthcare, Medicare, you can do, or you can fund, and you can fund police, you can fund firefighters, you can fund all these things, right? There are all these different examples of what we do. Batman represents one form of community assistance right. through 
um, economic resources, which is essentially police, right? Batman is his own police department, right? Um, and then Batman ignores all these other things, right? Right. Like food stamps or like, you know, WIC programs or, um, you know, um, uh, legal aid, um, all, all these other health care, all these other things that could also get Batman's resources are ignored, right? right. <clears throat> See, very similarly in our, in our world today, that's what's happening, right? We have all these different options of things that we could be doing to help our communities. Right. And by and large, um, government leaders choose to do enforcement rather than prevention. Right. Right. So by and large, police departments or militaries are funded really well. And, um, you know, Social Security, Medicare, um, food stamps are not funded at all. So, you know, I think there's that example. And, and one way to combat this is community organizing. And what we know to be true about Batman is he is not a community organizer, <laughs> right? Batman, Stokely Carmichael, Batman is not, right? Like, he, he it plays in the shadows. He doesn't want to be known. He doesn't want to be seen, despite his big fucking flashlight thing. Um, so, you know, if you're organizing a community meeting at the local community center to try to talk about systemic inequities with the police department, Batman is not your featured speaker. Right. right? You, can't, you can't shine the bag sitting out the community because <laughs> right. you can't afford it at the community center. Right. Um, so so it's, it's very much an example of what we actually face today. Okay. So let's go to the the opposite end of the sure, spectrum. Sure. And let's talk about, you know, somebody who is in a similar predicament to Batman, <clears throat> but exemplifies what it actually means to be a a stereotypical middle-aged white American. Okay. Nobody other than Mr. Stark himself. <laughs> and I don't mean the Tony Stark from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That man's change of heart was was something special. But in the comic books, Tony Stark was definitely a very interesting character, especially because he was born into wealth. He was gifted, and he had a traumatic upbringing Mm -hmm. that even being gifted, Mm -hmm. he could not figure out how to get the help Mm -hmm. or procure the resources that mm-hmm. would have actually led him down a different path. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, um, let's remember, too, that that Tony comes from a father who was, uh, who made weapons, and Tony himself was a weapon maker as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, his, his, his real life origin, I don't know if you know, but one of the reasons why Tony Stark exists is because Stan Lee in the, in the eighties, seventies, eighties, um, he, he thought it would be an interesting challenge to pick somebody who would be universally hated by his audience and <laughs> turn them into a superhero. And Tony Stark <laughs> is what came out of that. Which is wealthy, 1%, munitions, expert, playboy, whatever, turned into a superhero, right? So, so by design, Tony's meant to be problematic. Right. Right. Um, I think one thing you're alluding to, though, is that Tony, um, 
in a lot of ways exemplifies this kind of independent spirit amongst masculinity, which causes, which can lead to a lot of problems, right? So, so one of the aspects of toxic masculinity is this inability to, to ask for help, right? Right, and an inability to, to involve your community and an inability to talk about issues that are happening, right? So once you bottle all that up and you ignore it and you whatever it suppress it, at some point it explodes, right? Um. And one of the things that's interesting about Tony is that um, he has a coping mechanism, which is alcohol, mm-hmm. right? So the Tony Tony Stark in the comic books is an alcoholic, um, and we know this because not only because you know there's seminal stories that involve that specifically, um, so we know this not not only because there are stories that say that specifically, um, but that um, that Tony was an alcoholic as Iron Man. Um, and so not only do the stories just say that he's alcoholic, but it also gave us an opportunity to really see the impact of his alcoholism on, uh, his heroism. Um, and it kind of provides this really interesting insight into what, um, a destructive sense of masculinity might look like. Um, alcoholic Tony was very, um... Uh, stereotypical in a lot of ways, but right. but you know, true to life, um, and uh, you know, aggressive, violent, accusatory, uh, distrustful. Um, you know, he uh, was paranoid, um, and it really kind of shined a light on uh, this idea of how how do how do superheroes cope with their emotions and their right. trauma, right? And and historically. We have not had very many stories that talk about that. Um, so that's one of the hidden sides of superheroism that engenders toxic masculinity is this lack of acknowledgement that if you are putting up with this shit and if you're fighting this fight on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, you're going to go through some trauma. And it is a lot less interesting to have stories about the trauma than it is to just skip to the next adventure. Right. So we have had various examples of superheroes who have had their lives threatened, who have lost loved ones, who have lost their own physical abilities, mental abilities, who have been targeted by villains, who have been targeted by the media, who have been targeted by the people. Who have lost their jobs, had their secrets exposed, you know, yada yada yada, and very few times do we get to see what the actual long term impact on that superhero is. Right. I think it's a uh, an interesting dynamic because we look at how many superheroes, at least conceptually, mm. are or at least become superheroes due to this this loss you know peter parker became spider-man because he felt guilty about not stopping the robber mm-hmm. losing uncle ben mm-hmm. batman became a superhero after his parents got shot by a robber mm-hmm. he also had money but that's neither that's here and there but there's neither here nor there batman's um, superpower is that he's rich i, yeah. I want to make that clear people <laughs> people people think that they like batman People think they like Batman because he doesn't have a superpower. He has a superpower. He's money. wealthy. It's money. 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 You can't be Batman. People think they can be Batman. They're like, oh, he doesn't have a superhero. I could be Batman. You can't be Batman. 
Mm-mm. It costs billions of dollars to be Batman. On a daily basis. Yes. You got to be able to, you know, ruin the city mm-hmm. and then contract via your own company. Yes. Mind you, yes, he does this via his own company. Yes. To have things repaired. Right. Right. So not only does he fuck shit up, yeah. he then... Gets paid to fix it. Get, yes. Yes. Like, that is in and of itself the issue that we have as a society... With our billionaires. Mm. Our billionaires are now trying to donate money to fix the problems they cause, mm-hmm. but they're not fixing anything because they're not actually tackling the root of the problem. And then the donation becomes a tax break, mm-hmm. which means we have less money to work with in the government. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it's, it's wild. It's wild. But so we, we've touched on Bruce Wayne, we've touched on Tony Stark. Let's talk about Clark Kent. Yes. Clark Kent is the reverse because he comes from, you know, a poor upbringing, mm-hmm. but he's born with power. Yes. So, um, I love Superman. I love the Superman mythos. I love the Superman stories. There are people who say they don't like Superman because they consider him boring. The problem is that they're not looking at where the conflict is in Superman. By and large, a lot of superheroes, the conflict is, can I outpunch this person? Right. Superman never has that problem, um, or very rarely has that problem. Um, if you're a bad writer, he has a problem. I mean, Seriously. well, it's not a bad writer. If you just, like, write a character named Doomsday, right, right, or, you right. know, somebody with a green rock. Oh, green rock, right. Um, no, the, the Superman's conflict comes from, um, can he really save everyone? Um, and when that question has been asked in that way... The answer, by and large, has been no. And that becomes the heart of the conflict, which is, even with all this power, he can't save everyone. Um, And I think, in a lot of ways, there's another aspect of masculinity that kind of triggers our sense of um, guardian angelness. And for a lot of men... Socialized in the United States and in the world too. Actually, I've seen a lot. I've seen this happen with a lot of men around the world as well. Um, there's a sense that you have to protect those around you, and that comes from not just physical but also economical, emotional, um, psychological. Right. So we have men who feel obligated to not just get into fights with each other over supposed physical harm or, or, or mistrust. We've had men who um, feel a financial burden because they feel like they have to be breadwinners for their families, right? Uh, we have men who feel like um, they have to keep secrets from their families in order to prevent psychological harm or emotional harm. Um, and we can see how this kind of guardian angel thinking when taking just two steps forward can start to become super harmful. Right. Right. Obviously there's nothing wrong with wanting to protect somebody. Um, but when you start making those steps to protect somebody, one without their agency, one, two without their permission, um, without informing them, right. Um, and without their input, um, it becomes super problematic. Right. Um, And then now you're dismissing the agency of whoever it is that you think you're trying to protect 
because you quote unquote know better, right? Um, in a lot of ways, Superman represents that part of us. Um, Superman uh, physically has a lot of power. Um, and then psychologically, emotionally represents this absolute moral good. Um, and there's a lot of, there are a lot of ways in which we, we say we trust that Superman knows better. Um, and as a result, um, Superman as a character gets used as, um, this yardstick in which we measure morality. Right. And then behind that, he has the power to back it up. Right. Because the only way to write Superman as an ethically good character is to make him the paragon of ethics. Any slip in his ethical veneer would cause his physicality to dominate. Right. Right. So he has a bad day at work. Somebody cheats him at poker. You know, gets in a car accident. He has the power to immediately exact um, um, an overabundance of permanent revenge. Right. Right. Um, So... so when we say that we, we admire somebody like Superman, um, what we are also kind of saying, if we're not being critical about it, is that we want to be somebody who is morally good in a way in which we can enact our morals on other people. Right. Um, which is problematic. It is. Um, I think one of the the issues that comes to mind when I think about Superman, first and foremost, is this episode of uh, Justice League Unlimited, mm-hmm. where Darkseid um, comes to Earth for the anti-life equation. Mm-hmm. And so all the superheroes are fighting with them. And uh, it's this scene in the episode where Superman is kind of like, he tells them what his problem is. Mm-hmm. You know, Superman realizes that he's like all-powerful, he realizes that the things around him are super fragile. Mm-hmm. So he has to be like really careful. He lives in a world of cardboard. Mm-hmm. You know, blowing too hard, blow the world down, mm-hmm. you know, touching something too hard or cause the glass to crack. Mm-hmm. And I think that that personifies how it feels to, you know, be, be unaware of the existence and the power other things around you, especially as, as a man trying to navigate in a world that puts you on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I don't think that... Um, and it's kind of ironic, because Superman's powers are tied to the sun, mm-hmm. and so if he's in red sunlight, he loses his powers. Right. He goes back to being just like you know the rest of us. Right. But I don't think that aspect is ever really acknowledged sometimes, because mm-hmm. whether we want to admit it or not, despite, you know... The, the, the paradigm he represents, he is just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, he's written to be way more human than the people he's actually been designed mm-hmm. to protect. Right. Like, you can see how Superman interacts, I think it's in the comic book, where he flew to... South America to protect um, 
somebody who's being transported or something like that. It was he flew to help out um, either immigrants or migrants, one mm. or the other. Although, granted, somebody would tell me they're probably similar depending on how you use them in a certain context. Sure, or immigrants migrate. Either way, anyway, anyway, we're not having we're not having a social science conversation. Right. Um, he he personifies what it is for people to act without you know running through the the twenty million scenarios, but he also represents the danger. What it means to act without running through the twenty million scenarios, because mm. while he does have the power to you know put himself in danger. Normal everyday people may have a a a semblance of that power. Mm-hmm. They do not have the protection that power offers, mm-hmm. and so he is, you know, granted, you know, he's supposed to be uh, Palestinian, mm-hmm. but you know, when you read it without that context, he is what you know our society would look at as, you know. A white person with a privilege who mm-hmm. wants to, you know, fix everything. Well, okay, so here's the thing. We, in some way, have kind of co-opted Superman a little bit in the United States culture. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was created in the United States. We can, we, it's hard to co-opt something that he created. That's not what I mean. Um, <laughs> we think we do that all the time. Yeah, we, do, we do that all the time. I, we, I make a bottle, and then you be like, oh, that's a tall bottle. Bottle's mine now. Right, I'm in my bottle now. Um, Welcome to America. Nothing's yours here. So, uh, Superman, in a lot of ways, we think of as as a Christ-like figure. Right. He comes down from above. He solves all our problems. He's the he's the moral good, the moral absolute. He dies for our sins, right? Superman was not created. Quote, unquote. Hmm? Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote, unquote, right. The laws of death on Earth do not apply to Superman. For right, uh, because you got to make money. Um, <laughs> capitalism. Capitalism. Um, but Superman was not created to be a Christ figure. Superman was created to be a Moses figure. Superman was Moses. He was born of a different society and put in a basket and floated down the river to be raised in as an orphan in a different society. Um, so Superman, at his heart, is very much either, you can call him a Moses figure, you can call him an immigrant, you can call him whatever you want to call him. He was not meant to be a Jesus figure. Um, and so I think that's where we sometimes get lost, is this idea of, like, Superman represents corn-fed American all-goodness, whatever, and yet, even in the heart of corn fed American goodness, whatever, there's still an aspect of Moses involved and not Jesus. Right. Well, let's... Let, let's look at it like this. Because I think one of my favorite things about comic books and superheroes is the ability that writers have to mm-hmm. allow you to find certain pieces of yourself in them. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start with asking you Mm-hmm. Is there a comic book character that you've ever found yourself in? Kind of, yeah. So, growing up, I related a lot to mainstream comics because that's what was available. Um, I think I personally have always loved The Flash because I grew up at the time that Mark Wade wrote um, Wally West in, in The Flash, and Mark Wade's Flash is really good. 
Um, I mean, relatable is what I mean by okay. good. Yeah, we got we got to take a timeout real quick because you said the Flash and I thought about CW, and so I have to put this out there to my best friends on Geek. If I don't do it, fuck Barry Allen. Continue. Wow. Okay. Look, okay, so if you've never seen I mean, Flash I've seen, I've seen CW, it all. I've seen it all. Then you understand that Barry Allen, dumbass, will have everything going the right way. He will be happy for all of five seconds, and all of a sudden it's, you know what? Fuck this noise. I'm going to run back in time, fix some shit that does not need to be fixed, and then go back and be like, oh, God, what happened? I broke reality. And then he does this multiple... Time. He does. He does not learn his lesson. It's like, you are the fastest man in the world. And for whatever reason, you cannot learn that you cannot outrun your problems. Right. That's why the, the, the time rapes come out the way they do. They understand that speedsters, for whatever reason, embody what it is to be human so hard. Because mm-hmm. when humans are not taught to resolve their own conflicts, mm-hmm. they will run. And they will yes. run fast, they will run far, they will run until they feel like they've outrun their problems, mm-hmm. and then their problems come back and catch up with them. Mm-hmm. So yes, fuck Barry Allen. Alright, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not going to try to mount a defense on Barry Allen. <laughs> um, except, I will say, the CW Flash show is actually pretty fun. Um, even even with all its weird problems. Um uh, so I, I, I did I did kind of relate a lot to Flash. I related to Spider-Man, of course. I think everybody relates to Spider-Man on some level. Um, I love the X-Men as well. I think there's definitely an aspect growing up reading the X-Men where um, I don't think I necessarily related to a particular X-Men, but I think there's a feeling that I could have been an X-Men as well, even though I don't really have any powers. Right. Um, right. But, you know, it's such a large, motley crew that there's always a sense of, like, they can use a plucky Asian. Like, <laughs> I'll fit in there I, somewhere. They, 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 they take me in, right? Like, they feed me. Um, yeah, that's all that matters sometimes. Give me a place to stay and just right. get in some food. I'll, 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 I'll vacuum. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, yeah, I go fight crime. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be come, here. I'll be here. I'll come to the academy. Yeah. You know, let me just vacuum and... Um, so that's definitely what I related to growing up. Um, and then I think as I got older, I read more, particularly independent books. And not that I found more relatability with them, but I definitely understood that they reflected a greater world. And that's, I think, you know, at some point there's an awakening moment. At least I had an awakening moment when I was reading mainstream pop culture superhero comics that, um, at some point you hit a wall where you go, oh, their world is actually very narrow, right? Um, perhaps it was when I was young and the first time I noticed that all of the best heroes in DC were white men. Um, just variations on the same white man. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference between Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne? Clark Kent has blue eyes, Bruce Wayne has brown eyes. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I mean, and we had the first Green Lantern that Green was Lantern. black, and then you, what happens? His entire sector dies, and they're like, "What happened, man?" And you're like, I, he, he was away. It was nothing he really could have done." But then it's like, "So this is this is a black Green Lantern, and you're saying that he's incapable of protecting this?" Or like, that's the yeah, they they really uh, fucked over John Stewart, but um, 
No, but you know how Jordan was white, Barry Allen was white. I mean, Wonder Woman's white. Aquaman is white for some reason. Um, but that's not to say that there isn't like a black DC universe. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like there's Earth definitely 30, black heroes and stuff. But it's Earth thirty something where all yeah. the heroes are black. Yeah, yeah, uh, with their own Superman Obama. Um, <laughs> I, I I love that character. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so I think it was like there was a moment when I was a kid when I was like, oh, they're they're idea of what the world looks like is actually pretty narrow Mm -hmm. and then and then independent comic books kind of gave me this this sense of like oh they're reflecting a greater reality they're reflecting parts of the world that that are true right um and then as far as the most relatable stuff for me i think is actually there's a there's an author named um i'm gonna i'm gonna get this wrong uh Jean Yang Liang, I believe. I'm trying to determine if it's Jean Liang Yang or Jean Yang Liang. I'm gonna mess that up. Anyway, he has written. He he's Chinese American author. Um, has written a couple of really amazing books, including one book called American Born Chinese. That's awesome. Really great. Um, and then also had a stint writing. Um, a regular series about the Chinese government Superman. That was called the New Superman, um, and that was I think his work was the very first time when I was like, oh, I don't have to put myself into a character. He's actually just writing me, right? I don't have to pretend I'm Spider Man. I can just read him and be like, oh, that's just me, right? Um. Yeah, so so varying degrees of of relatability, I think. How how did it make you feel knowing that there was a universe out there where you can just be, where you had your you had your pick, right? Of who you could be for the first time. I think it's incredible. I think I think I think representation is 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 the most powerful thing when it comes to media. Um, having having people. Who look like you, who feel like you, who share your life stories, who share your experiences and perspectives, do incredible, amazing things in front of you is is the dream, right? Like, none of us wants to live in a world where everything looked like the eighties, where if you're black, you're a thug. If you're, you know, uh, if you're Latinx, you're you're a gang member. If you're Asian, you're a kung fu master. You're an accountant. Like, none of us wants to live in that world, right? That's just a world of stereotypes. We want to live in a world where you can see somebody who looks like you, shares your experiences, who then does something that is either incredibly normal or incredibly impressive. And you can say, yep, I, I span the multitude between incredibly normal to incredibly impressive. Right. So the idea that you would have representation where it's not just I depend on this one character, but I actually have a pick of different things that can, that can represent me and my entirety is, is incredible, you know. Um, from my perspective, as especially, I feel like um, Asian representation in pop culture comic books is sometimes a forgotten uh, need. Um, I think that Asian culture, particularly Japanese culture, gets mined for a lot. That's why we see ninjas all the fucking time. Um, but then people forget that, like, Ninjas aren't the end-all be-all of Japanese culture, right? So, like, you will see people drop ninjas into something like Daredevil, right? Um, and you have you have a white writer, a white a white male writer, 
writing a white male character who happens to live in New York, right, in Hell's Kitchen, and for some reason he's fighting ninjas, right? Let's go a step further. We need to talk about the three ninjas. You know, you have the the white grandfather who right. is a, who, who I mean the, the Japanese grandfather who yeah. is a ninja. Yeah. And then you have the three white grandsons. Right. right. That was um Rocky, Colt, and Tum Tum, I believe they were. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, yeah, no, Three Ninjas, yeah. American Ninja was also a popular movie series about a white um, ex-Vietnam Vietnam vet who, or, it might have been Vietnam, I don't remember the movies that well. But then he comes back and he learns the ways of the ninja. I mean, he must have been stationed in Japan, probably World War II then. But whatever. Um, and then he learns the ways of the ninja, and then he fights as a ninja, whatever. Um... I mean, even to this day, right, um, this, this is a personal pet peeve of mine. The current editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics is a guy named C.B. Sobolski. And C.B. Sobolski was, was a writer for Marvel. The, the, he rose through the ranks as a writer in Marvel. And his very first job in Marvel as a writer was under a pseudonym where he wrote about Japanese culture. And people just assumed he was Japanese. And then it turns out that he wasn't Japanese. He's this white dude. Um, and I don't think he's ever really apologized for doing that. Probably not. Um, I think he kind of did one of those half-assed, like, I'm sorry if you're offended <laughs> apologies. Um, and then now he's the editor-in-chief of Marvel. It's like, oh, hold on. Like, he made his career pretending he was Japanese. And has never once been held accountable for the fact that he's not actually Japanese. Right, like he 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 has never suffered any of the indignities that Japanese people have had to suffer in life. Right, he's never nobody's ever thrown a racial slur at him. Nobody's ever, you know, presumed a, a racial stereotype on him. Um, nobody's ever, you know, like like done the slantized thing to make fun of his eyes, or nobody's ever, you know, like spoken in like fake Japanese to him, where you you know whatever. Um, and yet he still somehow is able to use Japanese culture to bolster his job prospects. Right? I mean, it's like the Indian guy who used the parent of action to get into medical school. And it pisses me off every time I remember it. Not only did he use affirmative action to get into medical school because his GPA wasn't high enough to get into medical school. Mm-hmm. He got into medical school and didn't finish. Yeah. And I'm just like, so, representation, power, masculinity mm-hmm. and other subjective things wield this this control over people mm-hmm. and when it comes time for us to finally hold them accountable for something it's like well you know boys will be boys right. or you know <laughs> I don't it's I wonder why accountability is so hard to write. And the last time I asked somebody this question, he said it's because we didn't have a model for accountability. But I feel like accountability is so hard to to write because everybody still wants that that plausible deniability. Right. You know. I mean, it's very easy to blame capitalism, which I will do. Um, Always and forever. 
I mean, we we're it's twenty nineteen, right? Like we just went through ten years of Marvel movies being the biggest fucking things on the planet. Like we literally spent like more money on Marvel movies, not just watching but also making them, right? Mm-hmm. Than most countries' GDPs, right? Like mm-hmm. we spent more than like I don't know Denmark spends on their country than to make a Marvel movie, right? Um, but America is broke. Keep that in mind. Right. Um, so, uh, there's no financial incentive to do things differently. Right. So what, so for example, one of the problems with toxic masculinity in superheroism is that when you talk about superheroes, you're talking about a very binary world. You're either good or evil. And the way that good conquers evil by and large is a punch to the face. Right, like, Batman's known as the world's greatest detective. How many Batman stories end with, I conclude, therefore you must be arrested, versus how many Batman stories end with, I punch you in the face, and that's the end of the story, right? Like, Kapow! So, like, even the world's greatest detective, by and large, just punches people in the face, right? Um, <laughs> and so, so, uh, so the problem is that, that superheroism engenders a certain amount of physical violence. It's just baked into... The trope. Right. Right. Um, our superheroes conquer um, their problems by punching each other in the face. Um, and uh, very rarely do, do superheroes talk it out. Right. Um, so then turning that on, on the capitalistic end, if you were to make a Marvel movie where the hero talked it out with the villain, most people would say, I'm not paying 12 bucks to see that movie. I want to pay 12 bucks to see Chris Evans punch someone in the face. Um, so, so, you know, the question of capitalism becomes part of the thing, right? Right. Um, Marvel had this incredible run a couple years ago when they had, when they started expanding the diversity of their superheroes. They had Miles Morales, they had, um, Ironheart, um, they had, uh, Jane Foster as, as Thor, they had Abadeus Cho as the new improved Hulk. Um, they had Kamala Khan as Miss Marvel. So they had all these incredible heroes that were young people of color from varying degrees of backgrounds, experiences, um, various genders, various sexualities, taking over as the predominant superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was about a two-year experiment where they just kind of did this. Um, and then at the end of that two years, they started reverting everything back. Steve Rogers came back, Tony Stark came back, Peter Parker came back, all this stuff happened. And the CFO of Marvel at the time, um, some, some, some person at Marvel at the time with, with some sort of financial control of Marvel said in a uh, in a panel at a convention that uh, their sales dropped during that period that diversity actually doesn't sell their books um, which you know one I would argue that they, the two years is too short of a timeline to determine that but two if all you care about is the capitalism then it of course behooves you to maintain the same structure, right? 
the more white superhero movies you make, the more people are going to watch them, mm-hmm. right? Black folks will go watch Captain America. White folks may not necessarily go watch Black Panther. Right. So if you want to make a financially successful superhero movie, it behooves you to make the Captain America one, not the Black Panther one. So if all you care about is your profit, you're probably going to maintain status quo. Right. And I think um, the question that comes to mind, especially since we've been talking about um, violence, is do you need some form of violence for hero for uh, heroism? Like, mm-hmm. do you can you be a hero without violence, mm-hmm. or is violence, you know, the condition from which that turns, you know, somebody into a hero? Like, do we have mm-hmm. everyday heroes out there making a difference, or mm-hmm. does it does violence have to be enacted for them to be like? All right, it's time for me to jump into action. Right. Um, I would say we actually do have some examples in pop culture that help that argument along a little bit, mostly because of constraints. So what I'm thinking of specifically is TV shows that haven't had the budgets for the big all-out brawl at the end of the episode. (laughs) Um, Star Trek is a great example of this, right? So Star Trek, the TV show by and large, just has a lot of talking and diplomacy. Like, that's basically what Star Trek is built on. Um, And then every now and then, Kirk would take off his shirt and put someone in the face. But, you know, by and large, a lot of Star Trek is built on, you know, you seem like a terrible person. I seem like a better person. Let's talk this out until you agree with me, right? Um, uh, Similarly, you know, oh, and and then, so that's TV Star Trek. But then movie Star Trek is like, fucking explosions like people people shoot the fuck out of each other and you're like oh shit like they have the budget to shoot each other that's why it turns on its head right um the other thing i'm thinking too is um the cw shows the flash arrow um flash and arrow are bad examples because they have a lot of physicality but uh supergirl is a better example supergirl especially the first season actually had a lot of talking in it um, and, and had not as much physical violence. It still had a lot of physical violence because nature of the beast. But um, Supergirl, perhaps because it, it could, it, I mean, it might be a little bit sexist to think so. Um, but, you know, you have your main character who is um, who's uh, a woman um, who is being um, controlled by men. Right, like, you know, male folks control that show, right? Like, right. your executive producer's on that and you're... Show writer at the time, I believe, was a man. Uh, the first season, um, it was on CBS, which is not a good gender diversity channel. Anyway, um, so so it might it might be kind of sexist to think that like oh, Super, Supergirl isn't meant to fight people and punch them in the face. Regardless, it did show that it was possible to do superhero TV plots that ended with "Let's talk this out" rather than "Let me punch you in the face until you give up." Um, so we've had some examples here and there of that. Um, so do I think it's possible? Yeah, totally. Um, is it going to happen anytime soon? I mean, certainly not going to, you know, if, if Marvel is any indication, like we, we're nowhere near the end of this run of, of superhero portrayal. Hmm. Maybe it's just trying to reframe mm-hmm. 
what it means to actually be a superhero at this point. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned earlier, you know, writing during a specific time period, you begin to reflect whatever media you, you absorb mm-hmm. then. So that, and then I know my parents get super upset about this because they're like, you guys just keep reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. You know, you would go back to our great stuff, pull it over here, and then start to change things about it. And I'm like, well, technically, because the way the multiverse is set up, all this can be canon somewhere anyway, so you just need to relax. Also, let's remember, your stuff wasn't all that great. To them, it was amazeball. <laughs> you can't tell my parents that. But, um, um, so like, in thinking about it, it's like, so now that we're in a time period where men are being held accountable, that's what this is, by the way. Yes. I know some of you out there feel like the world's out to get you. It's not. No. Is literally holding you accountable for the things you say, for the the way you act, the things you do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just have to be like, it's not about, you know, what you think it is. Mm -hmm. And you have done something wrong. Right. It is okay to admit the wrong. Right. And grow from it. And I want to know: Are we going? Are we heading into a direction where comic books are like that? Because I, I right. see it in in animes now, right. where they will showcase, you know, people on the, the the bad end of the spectrum, you know, requiring help mm-hmm. to a certain extent, so on and so forth. But I was wondering if if popular culture things like that, like I kind of believe Rick and Morty is going that direction, because you can see how Rick is slowly starting to accept the fact that he is depressed right and might actually need help to overcome his depression but i'm wondering if comic books would go that same route or is capitalism gonna keep us keep them stuck right well we have had some inroads here and there um i think um uh see i'm gonna mess this up again Sean Boylan, Sean, Sean, Sean something. Um, he wrote a miniseries for Batman called White Knight um, that kind of deconstructed some of those aspects of Batman's, you know, institutional racism um, and structural classism. Um, that was that was actually kind of a fun read. Um, the ending suffered a little bit, but the middle parts were good, right? Um, Tom King recently wrote a story um, called Heroes in Crisis, um, which had a really fascinating premise, um, even though the story went in a totally different direction. But the premise was that there would be some sort of super secret facility created by Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman that would be about addressing superhero trauma. Um, So that's canon now. Sanctuary is canon. Um, and it would be interesting to re-explore that concept. Um, I do think there's room to do that. Um, obviously the most creative of creators will be able to get some purchase to do stuff, um, discounting, uh, racial, economic, and gender privilege. Um, because I don't know why the most creative of creators tend to be white men, but... 
But why care about people of color when you know we can keep? Uh... Yeah, we'll talk about Batman again. Um, <laughs> but, so, so there are there are opportunities to talk about that. I think I think definitely there are opportunities to explore that. I don't think it'll ever go away. Um, even in those small places, there's still a lot of uh, pomp and circumstance around big showy action, big showy violence, big showy absolutism. Um, there's, you know, definitely um, baked into it is is this idea of like I'm right, you're wrong, I get to punch you in the face, um, and that's still part of it, you know. Right. Um, so my hope is that as we go forward, that we can at least explore some of these issues a little deeper. Um, I don't necessarily need Batman to not be Batman. I would like some stories about Batman talking to his therapist, though. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need Superman to not be Superman. But I would like some issues about Superman exploring, you know, what nonviolent solutions with world governments looks like. Um you know, I think both these characters, because of how much history they have, have the platform to be able to do these things. Um, and it would be interesting to use them for that because they are, you know, Batman and Superman are two of the most well-known pieces of pop culture in United States history. Um, and it would be interesting to, to, I mean, I think it'd be fascinating to see Super, uh, Batman in therapy. Um, you know, I think it'd be fascinating to have Batman really talk about the trauma of his, you know, fucked up. 75 year life you know and like all the shit that's happened to him it all started one day <laughs> you went to the theater yeah now the day my life changed forever i mean i mean imagine that you are faced with such intense childhood trauma at the age of eight that you dedicate the rest of your life to addressing that trauma like like and then, and then having not really had anyone to talk to about that except your butler. Um, and occasional <laughs> girlfriends. Right, occasional girlfriends, occasional um, um, uh, uh, wards of the state that you take in. I don't know why all of a sudden you're running this weird orphanage, but okay. Oh, uh, but then they become his, you know, his partners in crime. Oh, don't worry. You're gonna go to school by day, and then by night you'll be out on patrol with me, unless you have homework to do. Right, right. That's an entirely different conversation, too. Let so, me teach you how to punch people in the face. He 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 kind of personifies what it means to be a hurt person yeah. trying to help another hurt person. Absolutely. Like, well, I don't have I don't I don't know the healthy way to cope, but you know what? We can go ahead and, you know, start fighting people because that, that's how I that's how I make myself feel better. I can mm-hmm. go out and, you know, look at the mess I caused and try to fix it that way. Yeah, and I punch people. It's great. <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like masculinity isn't super difficult at all. It's the fact that we've interwoven it into mm-hmm. so many different things that when one starts to come undone, people are just like, Ah, shit. What do we do now? Bear, bear in mind, a lot of this is because we have we have adopted these things to define our reality. So when you tell somebody something like, hey, maybe your thought about wanting to earn more money than your partner is kind of sexist. 
it, it, for some folks, it totally upsets the apple cart of what they feel is reality. Right? So, like, the idea that you would say to somebody, hey, you know Batman's kind of racist, um, might fundamentally shift their ideas of morality, you know? Um, and and that can have real serious consequences. That could have, like... And it could be really difficult to, to kind of even absorb that, you know? Well, life is full of hard pills to swallow. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. But life is full of hard pills to sure. swallow. And sometimes getting to the other side of the road means you have to make that hard decision. Right. But ultimately, we can't make that decision for you. Right. Like, you can listen to our podcast. You can go, oh, I agree with some of the things you say. I disagree with some of the others. But it has me thinking. Ultimately, it that's, that's your decision to make. Right. And I tell you all, like I tell everybody else, you have a choice in everything. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, you're the person who has to live those repercussions. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the difference between you and a comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, in the comic book, you get to, um, you know, you live things over again in real life. You really only get one shot at this. Right. And you're praying that right. it turn out the right way. Right. So we're going to begin to wrap things up. Yes. Um, there would be a part two of this conversation coming. Oh, yeah. Well, I could talk semester. about this forever. Sometime next semester. Um, next week, we don't have a guest, but we will be uh, recapping the semester. You know, things we enjoyed, things we didn't enjoy, things we're probably trying to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so as with all guests, all right, Chris, go ahead and tell the people what, what you have coming up for you. What, what's going on? What's going on oh, in Chris's world? God, I wish I had stuff I was working on that, that folks could actually do. Um, my world is very much trapped in Mosaic at San Jose State. If you happen to be at San Jose State and you happen to be around Mosaic, I mean, come around. We got programs. I'm here in my office. I'm willing to talk to folks about anything all the time about anything. Um, so if you happen to be around, come on by. But at this point of the year, we're wrapping up the semester. So the only thing we got on, on, um, uh, on the horizon are study breaks. Um, but you know, it's important. Is come come through. Come yeah. take care of your mental health. Come take a break from your studying. It's is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fitting to end this episode with the first question I ever asked you. Yeah. Does doing the right thing ever get any easier? No. It never gets easier. Um sometimes it gets better though. Sometimes it gets better. Um but it's never easy. I feel like if it was, it probably wouldn't be the right thing, huh? Yep. Well, with that being said, I'm Aaron. I'm Chris. This has been the Men Creating Change Podcast. Thank you. Thank you.